verse number 6 through verse number 13. If you found it, say praise the Lord. Why don't you just close your eyes? I feel the presence of the Lord here. God's here to touch somebody. Before we leave here, somebody's life is going to be radically touched by the power and the mercy of God. Matthew 14 and 6, But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. Never make that promise. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. I want his head on a platter. And the king was sorry. He didn't want to do it. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her, and he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his, John's disciples, came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Verse 13, And when Jesus heard of it, He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence. I want to preach for a little while this morning on the subject positioned for a miracle positioned for a miracle God I pray that you would anoint me to preach anoint ears to hear confirm your word with signs following let the power of the Holy Ghost move in this place God I believe you to do it Lord I believe you're here to help somebody to touch somebody to deliver somebody in Jesus name God we thank you and we praise you in Jesus name and everybody said amen Give the Lord a great hand clap of praise today. God bless you. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. The Bible is a book of miracles. And God is a miracle working God. Let me just go ahead and say that again. I think you were getting settled and didn't quite hear it. I said the Bible is a book of miracles. And God is a miracle working God. Amen. In the last few weeks, we have seen within our own congregation numerous healings and miracles right here in this place, in this congregation, among people that we've come to church with for years. People say the days of miracles, signs, and wonders are over, but we know that God's power has not diminished, not at all. Amen. We've seen it with our own eyes, haven't we? 
We've seen cancer healed. We've seen neuropathy healed. We've seen blindness healed. We had a man right here on this very platform Wednesday night that for 12 years has been blind, but now he's seeing in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I was in Mexico preaching uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Came home Thursday so I could be at the conference Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And, and uh, one, one service, after service, we were sitting at a table, a home missions pastor and his wife from out in Kansas, and my wife and I, and, uh, and the man that God healed, Brother James Drain, we were sitting at a table together eating and uh, had a good time. I had, I had never met him before, so I was just getting to know him. And, and so when, uh, when we got home that night, my wife said, did you notice that at the table tonight that uh, the only one not wearing glasses was the man that was blind until about two months ago? Amen. God's a healer. He's a miracle worker. He's still doing miracles. Don't let anybody tell you that the days of miracles are over. God is still working miracles. Amen. I'm not going to preach long this morning, but I do have a few things I want to tell you. This passage, by the way, if you were not here for Friday night's service, you need to go back and watch what Brother Batson preached from this very same chapter, this very same part of Scripture that I'm preaching. Man, he preached a fan fantastic message. Matthew chapter number 14 is a chapter that's full of miracles. The miracles start with the congregation of what the Bible said was 500 men plus women and children. 500 men, not counting the women and children. We know statistically that not all 5,000 men were married, but it's very it's highly likely that the majority of them were. And so that adds probably 3,000, 3,500 or so women into the mix. So now we're up to close to maybe 9,000 people. And so I got thinking the other day when I was working on this message, I wondered, I said, how, I wondered how many children did the average Hebrew family in New Testament times have? And so I, I went to Google and I looked up and I found uh, four or five different different resources because you get yourself into trouble just believing one website. Amen. You'll get yourself in trouble if you do that. And so I, I went through and I, I did a survey of several different reputable sources. And they said that Hebrew peasant families, the typical people that would live in the villages, towns, and neighborhoods of Israel would have four to eight children. That's four to eight children. So if you have, if you have let's say, 4,000 married couples there with their children, now you're talking about maybe 16,000 or more kids involved in the situation. My point is that you have probably at a, at a safe estimate about 15,000 people that are there in this crowd. The Bible said that this multitude, let's look at verse 14 of Matthew 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. He healed their sick. If you have about 15,000 or so, according to statistics, they say that at any given time, that over 95% 
of the world's population has some kind of health problem. And so if you have a crowd of 15,000 people, you have about, you have nearly 15,000 sicknesses, 95% of that. Am I doing too much math for a Sunday morning? My point is this, that when he healed their sick, there were thousands of miracles that were encapsulated in just that one verse of scripture. In one verse, when he healed all their sick, there were thousands of healings in that miracle. And then Jesus turned right around and to that very same crowd, he saw they were hungry. And so he told his disciples, give them something to eat. He knew that 12 disciples couldn't carry enough food to feed 15,000 people. And he also knew that they didn't have a traveling Walmart to go get bread from. And so he said, well, give them something to eat. He said, well, we don't have anything. Well, go look what you got. He said, even if, even if there was a store, we don't have enough money to buy enough food. They go out, they find a boy that had five loaves. A loaf in that time was a piece of flatbread. It wasn't like a Wonder Bread loaf like we've got. It was like a, it was like a pita. And he had five of those. And the Bible, the Bible shows how little faith, because they said he has five loaves and two small fish, right? Two, not big fish, but small fish. Not the kind of fish I catch, but the kind of fish you catch. Two small fish. They said, but what is this among so many? It's not going to be nearly enough. But then Jesus took the bread and he took the fish and he lifted it up to heaven and he prayed over it and he blessed it and then he broke it and then he kept putting it in the hands of the disciples and the disciples kept passing it out until the Bible said that all the crowd ate not just enough to knock a little bit of their hunger, but the Bible said they were full. They didn't have, they couldn't eat anymore. And then they gathered up all the leftovers and there were 12 times more at the end than what they started with. 12 baskets left over. Another 15,000 miracles. So now we're up to almost 30,000 miracles that happened in just one day. And then Jesus told the disciples, get on the ship. And go across the sea. And so he goes right from feeding the multitude to going. And the disciples get on the boat. And they get on the boat. And the storm comes. And when the storm comes, the disciples are afraid they're going to die. And the next thing you know, they look up. And here comes Jesus walking on the water to them. Another miracle. And this is all in the same chapter. And not only that, but this but Peter, or Peter doesn't believe it's Jesus. I don't know the storm or whatever, but he's, he doesn't believe it's Jesus. He said, if it's really you, ask me to come out on the water. And Jesus, you ever ask a question that when, when, when you ask for something and then when you get it, you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't ask for that. You ever do that? Anybody ever do that? You ask for something and then when you get what you ask for, you're like, oh, Lord. Now, don't look at your wife. You'll get yourself in trouble right now. Peter said, if it's really you, ask me to come out on the water. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter, now he's, he's opened his big mouth. You know, he's, he's, he said, I, he, you know, he, he started to talk. If you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. And so the next thing you know, Jesus, it says, come. And Peter steps over the edge of the boat. And the Bible says, look at what the Bible says in Matthew 14, 29. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. 
another miracle happened. You believe in a miracle God? I asked you, do you believe in a miracle God? Amen. And so now the storm is blowing, but the Bible said in verse 32, and when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Another miracle. Verse 40, four, chapter 14, verse 35. The last little portion, the last two verses of this chapter ends like this. They got to the other side, and verse 35, and when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased. They went through the entire area, all the country, all the little villages and little towns and little hamlets in that country round about. And they brought to him all that were diseased. If that statistic, 95% of people at some point have some sickness, pain, or problem. There, you're talking about hundreds of people, maybe thousands that are coming to Jesus in this multitude. And here's what the Bible said. The Bible said in verse 36 that everyone that touched the hem of his garment were made whole. Everyone that touched him, another miracle. You're talking about a chapter of scripture that could possibly have somewhere in the 40 to 50,000 miracle number. Amen. Now look, I, I put you through the math course this morning. I brought you all these statistics because I didn't want you to think I was just making up these numbers. But when you look at the numbers and you look at what this chapter has, we have a miracle working God. There's nothing. Look at somebody and say, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Jeremiah 32 and 17. That's what Jeremiah said. Oh, Lord God, behold, thou hast made heaven and earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing too hard for thee. There's nothing too hard for God. Look at somebody. Tell them there's nothing too hard for God. I want you to tell somebody, whatever you need, God can do it. Whatever your problem, God is the answer. Whatever's broken, God can fix it. We serve a miracle working God. I've come to tell somebody in this place today, I don't know all your circumstances, and I don't know all your situations, and I don't know all your trials, I don't know all your problems and tests, but I do know the God we serve is able to do all of it. There's nothing too hard for him. Amen. If you're sitting next to somebody that's got a situation in life, that's got a sickness, a problem, a trial, a test, I want you just to look over at them and just tell them there's nothing too hard for God. I want you to remind them there's nothing. If you're dealing with somebody that's having an emotional trouble, a family problem, a sickness, a disease, a financial problem, if you're dealing with somebody who's dealing with trouble and stress in life, I just want you to look at them and tell them there's nothing too hard for the Lord. If you believe that, give God praise right now. Amen. Amen. I said there's nothing too hard for the Lord. I heard another testimony this morning, Brother Wilson. We, we, we've talked about it a few times during tent revival. We talked about how Brother Johnson was preaching, and he specifically said there's somebody in a car out there 
that's dealing with neuropathy. Is that what, did he call it out? He said neuropathy. And he said, if you're in your car and you believe God, if you'll walk down to this altar, God will heal you. And while, while he's saying that, I'm thinking in my mind, somebody with neuropathy doesn't want to walk down that aisle and come all the way to the altar from where the cars are parked. But he just gave it a little bit of time. And about that time, I watched them in between the rows in the back of that tent. I watched Brother Travis, who's come to church here for 15, 16 years that we know we know he's got some health issues. He comes waddling down that aisle on those sore feet, and he's, he's, he's barely making it. And I, I, I'm just telling the truth, Anna. He's walking on that old gravel, and, and, I, and I'm worried about him because that gravel's not easy to walk on for somebody with good feet, let alone, let alone somebody with neuropathy. But here he comes down that aisle. What he, what he told me, he, and he wants, he's not here this morning, but he wants to testify sometime. And since he's not here, I'm going to testify for him. He said, Pastor, he said, I hurt so bad that I wanted to die. He said, I, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that at times I thought it might be easier just to take my own life than have to deal with that. I'm talking about a Holy Ghost filled man that's so much pain that it's over, over, almost overwhelming to him. He said, but, but this was a week after. He said, but pastor, here it is a week after. And I shouted in my living room today because I've had no, he said, I called you just to tell you that I woke up again with no pain. We serve a miracle working God. There's nothing too hard. Oh, hallelujah. I wish somebody'd praise the Lord for a miracle workers in the house. He's here right now. There's nothing too hard. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. We know that story. We told it a couple of times the last couple of weeks. But while Brother Travis was walking down that aisle, and Brother Johnson, he, he, he told him, he said, come all the way down here. And while Brother Travis was walking slowly down that aisle, another man in our church, Brother Kevin, has been dealing with neuropathy. And once you get neuropathy, you just have to understand, the doctors can slow down the progress, but they can't reverse the damage that's already done. Once it's done, it's done. Amen. And so while he's praying for Brother Travis, Brother Kevin just decides that if he can heal Brother Travis, he can heal me. And so God's been healing him ever since. Do I have a witness that the pain is going and gone? I'm just telling you, all I'm here to say is we serve a miracle working God and there's nothing too hard for him. Woo, hallelujah. Oh, I wish somebody that had a miracle at some point in your life would just wave your hand and praise God because you know there's nothing too hard for him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, lift your hands to heaven. I feel the Holy Ghost here to minister to somebody. There's a miracle in the house today. Oh, I said I believe there's a miracle in the house today. The word of the Lord says there's nothing too hard for the Lord. You have to notice something about miracles. Miracles are all instigated by a need. You can't have a miracle without needing a miracle. 
You can't get healed unless you're sick or diseased or in pain. The multitude was hungry. That's why they needed a miracle. The storm was about to sink the ship. That's why they needed a miracle. There's no such thing as a miracle without a need. Your need does not disqualify you from a miracle. Your need qualifies you for a miracle. So if I was sitting in this place and I had a need, I think I'd raise my hand to heaven and say, thank God that you anointed a man to preach to me, to tell me that my need is not too big for the miracle working God that we serve. Oh, hallelujah. There's no such thing as a miracle without a need. None of these miracles I read about from Matthew chapter 14 comes because of great circumstances. They all come. Because there's problem, there's sickness, disease, hunger, storms. All these issues that come are the reason why there's miracles. The first, this this chapter, Matthew 14, are you all right? Can I preach just a few more minutes to you? Matthew 14 has 36 verses. Everything I've told you about this morning so far is the last 23 verses of that chapter. The first 13 verses of that chapter are not about miracles, they're about tragedy. It's about John the Baptist. The Bible said that there was never a greater man born of a woman than John. And in another place, the Bible said that there was never a greater prophet than John. He was a voice, the Bible said, of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. The forerunner of Christ, the prophet of God. Herodias, the wife of Herod, Herod had a particular liking for John. For whatever reason, he liked John the Baptist. But Herodias, his wife, hated John the Baptist. And Herodias hated John because he told the truth. She hated John because John wouldn't compromise his message to make her happy. He had the gall to stand on what was right regardless of what she wanted. And there are some people who will hear preaching, and instead of applying the preaching to their lives and repenting, they'll get offended at the voice instead of knowing that it was God that sent the word, and they reject what God was wanting to do in their life. Herodias didn't like John telling them that they were living in sin, and instead of repenting, she set out to destroy the prophet of God. You can always tell someone's spirit by how they respond to God's word when the word comes to them. She initiates her plan to destroy the preacher. Before it's over, she has the head of John the Baptist on a silver charger, on a plate. They, they, they take the head of John the Baptist and they put it on a platter and they take it to her. And now she's excited because she silenced the voice of John. And then the disciples of John come and take his decapitated body and they bury it. And then they go and they tell Jesus that his cousin, John, the greatest prophet, never a man born of woman greater than he, has died. And the Bible says in Matthew 14 and 12, and his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. 
They go to Jesus and say, your cousin John is dead. He's been beheaded. And the Bible says in the very next verse, verse 13, if everybody's okay, say amen. amen. And when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. When Jesus gets the news that John has been killed, he gets on a ship and gets out of there. He leaves because of what happened to John. Because John had been decapitated. Because John had been killed. The Bible said that when he heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place. There's no denying that the death of John was a terrible situation. There's no doubt that when John died, the world lost a powerful voice, a prophet of God who was murdered. There's no way to minimize how much it diminished Israel to lose the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But it was the death of John that moved Jesus to where all the miracles needed to be. The only person glad that John was dead was Herodias. No one was happy that the voice in the wilderness was silenced. No one was glad that John had been executed. But if it's not for John being executed, Jesus doesn't go to the wilderness where thousands of people meet him and the miracles begin to happen. These 30 to 40 to 50,000 miracles don't happen if Jesus stays where he is, and Jesus stays where he is, if something bad doesn't happen to John. Everybody here with me today? It's important to notice that it was the death of John that moved Jesus to where the miracles were. The message today is you might be dealing with some terrible circumstances in life. Maybe something you love Something you value. A John the Baptist has died. A dream, a vision, a hope. Maybe it's a relationship, a job, a health report. Any situation in life that is tragic, negative, and painful. Amen. I'm not here to say that we should be happy that John died. And nobody's here to say that you should be happy that you have troubles and problems and sickness and disease and trouble. We're not saying that's something to rejoice about. I'm not telling you be happy that you got a disease. I'm telling you that that disease is not a reason to quit believing that God might be setting you up for a miracle. Oh, I've come to preach to somebody. I've come to tell somebody. Because listen, when you need a miracle, it's hard for you to believe for the miracle. It's easy for me to believe. Brother Carson, when they said you had a brain tumor and you were struggling so bad, there was never a moment in while you were going through it that I felt like you were going to die. There was never a moment where I felt like it was going to be the end of you or your ministry. But that's easy for me when I'm not the one getting ready to go into brain surgery. But if I'm the one going into surgery, listen, I 
can pray for you. If you come to me for sickness, I have faith for you. But when I'm sick, whoo, man, I was sick a few weeks ago. I went to the Philippines, and, and I'm a moron. And, and I, I went, I go all the way to the Philippines, and like, and I go in like two and a half days. I preach twice, jump on an airplane, come back. I get back here. I, I, I got there. I got there on Tuesday, preached Tuesday night and Wednesday, jumped on a plane, got back, got back here at midnight on Thursday, got up that next morning, jumped in the car, went to Kentucky to preach an anniversary service. I'm an idiot. I can say it about myself. But if you say it, I'll practice karate on your mouth. It was not smart. I get about halfway home from Kentucky on that Saturday because I got to preach Sunday morning and Sunday night here. It's only like, it's only like, like six sermons and 19,000 miles in six days. And, I, and I'm getting about halfway home from Kentucky. And the closer that I get, the worse I feel. By the time I get home, I've got a fever. I'm miserable. I'm, I'm coughing. I'm I'm sick. But I, but I feel like i got to preach because I had a word from the Lord for the next day. And so I'm laying in that bed on that Saturday night, Sister Wilson, and I'm thinking, God, I pray for myself. I laid hands on myself and I said, God, make me feel better in Jesus' name. God, heal me. I want to preach tomorrow. I want to do your work. And I laid there feeling miserable. And I said, God, I didn't say it that loud. I said, God, I have prayed for thousands of people. Just this week, I prayed for hundreds of people on two sides of the world, and you healed them, and you won't heal me. But if it had been you feeling bad, I could have walked up to you that same night and laid hands on you and prayed and I would have believed God to heal you. But when it comes to myself, God, I don't know if you can do it. I don't know if you'll do it. God, you'll do it for everybody else. Because when it's you that has the problem and it's you that has the trouble and it's you that has lost John the Baptist, you can't believe that God's going to do it for you. But I've come to tell you that even if the greatest thing in your life is in trouble, it's not disqualifying you for a miracle. Woo, hallelujah. Brother Daniel, when you, when you at 29 years old, 28, 29 years old, were at the VA with that hole in your heart, and they were getting ready, they were getting ready to do open heart surgery on you, and I walked in there with Brother St. Clair. You remember, Brother Danny St. Clair and I walked in that hospital room, and here's a 29-year-old man, a veteran that served our country over in the Middle East in war, and here he is with a family, uh, uh, with, with these, these sweet, beautiful children and the family that's dependent on him and I walked into that VA and brother Daniel when I walked in there I believe I told you brother Daniel everything's going to be okay I had complete faith I had complete faith that everything was going to be all right but it had been me laying there I would have been writing my will on a napkin or something when all you all 110 or 15 of you guys had COVID at the same time I believe that God was going to bring every one of you through it, and he did. But when you had COVID, I was recording my own funeral sermon, and I didn't even have it. 
That's right, I preached my own funeral because Brother Wilson was in the ICU. And, I, and I'm like, dear God, if, 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 if I get it, look at me. All the, all the mitigating factors to make it worse, I've got them all. So I sat in my office, I aimed my laptop camera at myself, and for 42 minutes I preached my own funeral just in case. And I wasn't even sick. I didn't have a sore throat, a runny nose, a cough, a fever. But when it's you, it's hard to have faith. So I was planning to die just in case. easy to have faith for other people. My point is, one of the most tragic events of the entire New Testament is the first 13 verses of Matthew chapter number 14. And if you read that, how somebody that's as carnal and wicked as Herodias can bring down a man that's as anointed and powerful as John. You tempted just to close. I don't want to read this story. You just close the book. I was reading a book the other day. I was reading a book about. I was reading a book about the uh, Holocaust, about World War II, and. Uh, reading about all those millions of deaths and the, the ways that they tortured these people. And I got reading that book, and, I, and it, got, it was so heavy and depressing. I just had to close the book and get away from it. I put it down, and I said, I'm not reading it for about three or four days because I just couldn't. I, I, I just had to stop. And if you took that approach to Matthew 14, you would get to the part where they took the dead, decapitated body of John and buried it. And you just close the Bible and say, I got, I got to stop reading. I can't, I can't deal with that much tragedy and that much negativity. And I, I can't deal with all that. And you just close the book and leave it there and walk away and say, I got to stop. But if you stop there, you lose about 40,000 miracles that happen within the next 36 hours or so. If you, if you stop at what the negative part was, you lose the glory of these people that have diseases that walked in with these sicknesses and problems and they walk out. I'm going to tell you, when I went to Ethiopia in 1995, it's like shock therapy. I'd never been out of the country. I'd never been anywhere. And, and I, it's like shock therapy. And you walk out of the airport at that time, and there's a 10-foot-high chain-link fence. And when you walk out of the airport, as far as you can see, there's the poorest of the poor. And you see these little children that they have barely rags, no, no shoes. They have barely just rags covering their body, and they're reaching their little hands through the fence just hoping they can get something. Maybe they can eat that night instead of having to go to the city dump and try to find some scrap somewhere that somebody threw out. And you look, and there's thousands of these eyes, and you can't hardly look them in the eye because if you look them in the eye, you'll give them everything you have. And so before we go out of the airport, the missionary tells us, he says, look, 
in the next few minutes, you're going to want to give away all of your money. But you have to be here for 10 days. And so you have to just walk. And I'm like, you know, whatever. And then you walk out there, and there's that fence with hundreds of hands sticking through there. It's overwhelming. You get in a van and you drive by, and there's shacks built out of cardboard. People laying in the streets. Poverty everywhere. You start having church. You start having church and they're bringing in people on stretchers and laying them down on the floor in front of the platform. I looked out over the field and there was this, there was this boy with this mangled, twisted leg. And he's crawling on his one good leg and his hands across the field dragging that leg. He's crawling on his hands and knees dragging that crippled leg and he's, he's crawling across the field to get to church. And you see all that. And if, you, and if, you, if, you're, if your mind cannot get past the negativity of all of that, you'll never see the glory of God. I'm standing on the platform during that service in Ethiopia. This is almost 30 years ago now. And I'm standing on that platform and I look down, and it's a bamboo platform that they built, and they've just put some grass over it so it's not so hard. And I'm, I'm looking down off that, off that bamboo platform, and laying right down there is that boy, and his leg is mangled out behind him, and he's, he's laying right there. And I thought he's come all the way across that field around, and he's made his way to the altar. And there's that man on the stretcher that, that can't walk that they brought, and they've laid him there. And it was my job to preach about miracles. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, God, I don't know. I don't know if you can do it or not. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. But I get up and I start to preach. And while I'm preaching about miracles, I, I, the Holy Ghost starts to move. And I'm, and I, and I'm preaching and I'm preaching and the, the crowd is saying, amen. Are you still with me this morning? Can I preach just a couple more minutes to you? And the crowd is with me and I'm standing up there and I'm realizing I'm trying to convince me they already believe it. By the time I look down, that boy that had crawled himself, he's standing on to, he's holding on to some stick. And he's, he's got this mangled leg. But on one foot, while I'm preaching about miracles, I'm wondering, can it happen? But on one foot, he's hopping up and down, balancing himself with that stick. And I'm like, this boy believes. And so we begin to pray. You can't lay hands on 60,000 people. They'll run you over. So you stand on the platform and you just begin to pray. And you say, God, you're a miracle working God. You're a holy God. And God, I believe you can do anything. And I'm asking you, God, to send your healing virtue throughout this place. And I'm praying like I'm taught to. I close my eyes while I'm praying. But I just got, I'm like some of you guys when they're praying over food. You got to open your eye just to make sure nobody's taking your chicken. And while I'm up there praying, I just, I, I just got to open my eye because I'm trying to pray for a miracle. And when I open my eye, I see that boy whose leg was twisted and mangled. Now it's perfectly straight and he's jumping up and down because we serve a miracle working God. And you can't stop. You can't stop at the negative. You got to keep pushing. You got to keep going. If you stop at the death of John the Baptist, you never see your miracle. I'm telling somebody it's not over. It's not too late. John the Baptist might be dead, but God is still alive. 
Jesus is still here. Jesus is still here. Jesus is still a miracle working. I wish somebody would praise him. I wish somebody that needed a miracle would just say, God, I know you're here. Maybe you're mourning your John the Baptist. Stand with me all over this place. Maybe you're mourning your John the Baptist. Maybe something you loved and held dear is gone. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your peace. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your family, your marriage, your children. Maybe you find yourself here. You're like, God, I raised my kids to serve you and they're out in the world right now. John the Baptist is dead. God, I've served you all these years and the doctor's report has come back. And it doesn't look good. John the Baptist is dead. God, I've tried to live for you and serve you. and Now my marriage looks like it's over. John the Baptist is dead. God, out of the blue, when everything was going good, now all of a sudden I find my mind riddled by depression. I can't make myself. I can't, get, I can't think my way out of it. God, I was just living my good life, and all of a sudden anxiety has gripped me every day, and every day is a battle to get out of bed. John the Baptist is dead. God, I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to work hard. I've tried my best to be a hard-working provider, but now my job and I, my career is in a mess, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my pay my bills and I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it John the Baptist is dead maybe you're mourning your John the Baptist today but let me submit to you that possibly the death of your John the Baptist has positioned Jesus for your miracle Because if John doesn't die, Jesus doesn't get in the boat and go to the desert place. And so, the negative, terrible situation was the seed of over 40,000 miracles. And so my message to you is maybe what you're dealing with in life right now is just a setup. For the greatest miracles that you'll ever witness in your life. Why don't you lift your hands all over this place today? I don't know who all I'm preaching to. I don't know what all's gone on in your life this week. I don't necessarily know what your doctor's report is. I don't know what your financial status is. I don't know what's going on in your marriage, your relationship. I don't know what's going on with your children. I don't know what's troubling your mind and heart. I don't know who here is discouraged, depressed, or has anxiety. I don't know who's dealing with addiction. I don't know who all is dealing with all the stuff in life. But 
maybe the death of John the Baptist has caused you to think maybe I ought to just give up. But I'd like to give you a counter-argument that all it's done is position Jesus in the center of your life to work a miracle. As your hands are lifted all over this place, Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. I feel the goodness of God in this place right now. I feel the mercy and grace of God upon this house. taking my time on purpose here right now because I, I feel like the Holy Ghost is, is trying to penetrate somebody's heart. Somebody's mourning a John the Baptist situation and you've been tempted to think now there's no way that it can work out. John is dead. There's no way my marriage can be fixed. There's no way my children can ever come back. There's no way I can ever get over this sickness. There's no way I'll ever feel joy and peace again. There's no way. John the Baptist is dead. It's too late. I can't have my miracle. But I've come to tell you that's precisely why you're a candidate for a miracle. Because it's positioned Jesus exactly where you need him to be your eyes are closed and your hands are lifted I feel like somebody wants to come to the altar I feel like somebody wants to come you're dealing with something that you feel like you just feel like God I didn't know if it could work out but now that preacher told me and I, I believe that there's nothing too hard I think it can be okay come on I, I know I feel, like, I feel like maybe Brother Johnson did when he's waiting on Travis to come down the aisle that maybe I should make it easier but I, I just feel like you need to come to the altar if you want your miracle whatever the miracle is I'm going to give you some more time Somebody here is living a miserable life in sin and you don't think you can be free. You ought to step out of that aisle. You ought to put your foot on the rock, look the devil in the eye and get your mind made up. Come on, come close. Let's not clog the aisles. Sometimes your trials are just a matter of positioning. We're giving you more time to come. We're giving you more time to press your way closer. I'm not going to ask you to tell anybody what you're dealing with. I'm not going to ask you to tell anyone what your need is. But if you've got a need, I want you just to reach out and tell somebody, help me pray. If there's a John the Baptist situation in your life, you don't have to go on, on a long confession. Just say, I need you to help me pray. Just touch somebody in the arm and say, help me pray. 
don't be ashamed. Maybe, you, maybe there's nobody close. Just open your eye, reach over, say, hey, would you help me pray? Just pray for me. Maybe you didn't come to the altar and you, you're not comfortable quite coming up, but you have something in your right where you, why don't you just say, I, I've come for my miracle today too. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Why don't you look around and find somebody nearby to pray with? The devil would like you make to make you feel lonely in a crowd. There's no loneliness like being in a crowd of people and feeling alone. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God, by the authority of your word. I don't know what the John the Baptist situation is in everybody's life. I don't know what it is that's troubling and burdening. I don't know exactly what it is, oh God, that is the weight that somebody's carrying today. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's their children. Maybe it's their family. Maybe it's their finances. Maybe they just know they need a touch from heaven today. And God, if you could do 45,000 miracles in one day, you could work a couple of hundred here right now. God, if you could touch thousands in one day, you could touch a few right now, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray the gift of faith to operate in this place. By the authority of your word and by the power of your name, let healing virtue flow. Let deliverance flow. Let joy flow. In the name of the Lord Jesus, can you lift your voice and pray? Hallelujah. one to another there's no way that a handful of preachers can move throughout this crowd but you can God I speak the word of faith somebody ought to be baptized in Jesus name today today's the day for your whole life to turn around today's the day for your breakthrough today's the day you got to make a decision. I'm going to turn my life around.
right, pray one for another. In the name of Jesus, for healing virtue, for answered prayer. God, because you're a miracle-working God and there's nothing too hard. There's nothing too hard for you, God. Let's thank the Lord for what he's done here today. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Listen, 
listen to this announcement. Listen to these announcements, if you will, before you go. Brother Matt Linton has CDs and supplies and material out here in the back, if you will. You can go bless him. Watch this. Don't forget meet and greet. If you haven't uh, ever met our staff, you new converts and, and visitors, guests today, meet in the room right straight through the prayer room, the back room on the right. Don't forget that. Service tonight. Going to have a good time. 6.30. Come believing before that, of course. And, uh, hey, listen to this. Listen to this. $1,000 has already come in on the roof for, uh, for the Philippines. Uh, no, Mexico. I'm sorry, Mexico. And I've got uh, two more hundred dollars already. I think we can finish that up right now. 300 right here. 250 right here. 100 over there. Another 100, another 100, another 200. Another 100, another 200. Another 100. Hallelujah. Another 100. Thank God. We're going to do it, aren't we? In Jesus' name. If you, don't ha if you have it now, you can bring it to Sister Joanna. Uh, if you don't have it now, bring it tonight. Make sure you put it on there, Mexico roof. Mexico roof. Don't forget, be here tonight. Pray and believe in the Lord. Tell somebody about good gospel, southern gospel singing here tonight and preaching. Bless you.